Jesus said that's where he'll remind you. That's where he'll teach you. There's no better teacher than the one. I always tell people, think of your favorite book outside the Bible. And then imagine you're reading it with the author sitting beside you. And he's able to say, hey, right there, when I wrote that, this is the backstory to that. And welcome to the Run the Race podcast, where we talk about fitness and faith on a weekly basis. And we all need motivation, maybe to lose weight or get stronger physically or get closer to God as we all seek purpose in life. I'm your host, Jason Dennis, hoping to inspire you to run the race of life as we sit down with fascinating guests digging deeper into the mind, body, and soul. Let's do this. Good evening and good morning to you whenever you are listening to this. Uh, this is Jason Dennis, and we have some breaking news. Jesus has risen. That's right. We just uh, celebrated Easter, uh, the rise of our Lord and Savior, uh, three days after dying on the cross uh, more than 2,000 years ago. And uh, we celebrate that as the foundation of our Christian faith. And uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's considered really the Super Bowl for churches, probably the highest attended uh, church service or time of the year for churches across the United States and maybe the world when it comes to the Christian faith. So the big question is, what's next? Uh, What happens now that we've had Easter? Do we just go back to our normal Sunday service, Wednesday service, those that attend, those that don't attend? Um, So uh, I'm talking today about that and a lot of other things with a local Pentecostal pastor, Paul Thomas, based here in Columbus, Georgia. He's originally a Texan, so we're going to hear more about him in just a little bit. And um, so, and also, uh, you know, if you missed the last episode, you can find all the previous episodes on WTVM.com slash podcast. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple, our last podcast was about a true survivor uh, who uh, beat cancer twice, but also was on the show Survivor three times, won it in season three in Africa. Ethan Zahn, who uh, just this past Monday ran the Boston Marathon for the second time, finishing this time. Last time previously, he was, was during the bombing. And so uh, he finished it and uh, benefiting uh, to helping those that are that want to kind of fight cancer with the help of fitness, also using uh, cannabis. And, uh, and so he, uh, he, he finished it in about a little more than five hours. Congratulations to Ethan for doing that. But if you want to listen to that previous episode, he talks about a lot of different things, not only the reality TV show, uh, but just his battle with cancer and just being mentally strong and how fitness is such an important part uh, for anyone's life, whether you're dealing with health problems or not. And uh, later on in this podcast, we're going to tell you about uh, how uh, you know, the church that uh, Pastor Paul uh, it leads, uh, they are uh, also leading a CrossFit gym in Georgia as well. You're going to hear more about that in just a little bit. But Pastor Paul Thomas, who's been married almost 35 years to his wife Pam, they have two children and two grandchildren. So he owned a small business uh, building fences for about 15 years. After that, he transitioned to working for a church, associate pastor, business administrator, uh, back in 2003 at what was known then as Evangel Temple in Columbus, just south of Atlanta. And he was ordained in 2009, became the lead pastor in March 2010 of uh, what's now called Evangel Church here in Columbus. Uh, so he's been in that job for about a dozen years now, has served as a, a statewide presbyter on the board for the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination for the past eight years. 
and uh, he has a, a passion for the Word of God, the Bible. Also uh, has a passion for playing with his two grandsons. So we talk uh, about restoration, which it talks about in John 21. We all fall short and fail, but it's you know God and Jesus inviting us back, that restoration, which is important to talk about after Easter. Uh, we also talk about his transition from, from the business world to the church world, and uh, pastoring during uh, this COVID pandemic, balancing church and family. We get into a little bit of the, you know, what some people consider controversial parts of the, the Pentecostal faith with the, the gifts of the Spirit, like uh, speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He kind of digs deep and, and explains that stuff to us in layman's terms and, and not in a preachy way. You know, he wants to, you know, get people to understand, you know, that, that listen, no pressure, uh, but you just got to dig in and uh, love others. Others, but also get into the Word of God. So, uh, and, and we start there as well. So uh, with Pastor Paul, uh, I talked to him, and I, the first question I asked him was, you know, now that we've had Easter and had all, you know, the, the celebrations of Jesus's, you know, raising from the dead and being our king and, uh, you know, defeating death um, and showing us that, uh, that, that he is our Lord and Savior, he is the Christ, uh, the Christian faith is founded on. After that all happens, and after we celebrate that on Easter, what happens next? Whether you go to church, uh, regularly attend, or whether you don't, um, what, what should happen next? Several years ago, we moved away from doing the big production on Easter. We try to have a service that looks like a regular service so that people kind of know what to expect when they come back, and then try to put more of our time, energy, and resources to those weeks after. So, so for us now is, hey, follow up on everybody that, that you know, shared that they were inter- interested in, in becoming a part of the church. But then this week, we'll have what we call our Spring Fest. So after the services this week from 1230 to 4, we'll gather everybody. Hopefully some of those people will be back, and it'll give us another chance to connect with them. So that we'll start just putting more and more emphasis on trying to connect with the guests that we saw. And, you know, post-COVID, it really is all about reconnecting. So it's just kind of putting more of the time and energy and resources to the weeks afterwards rather than just the, the week of Easter. Do you feel, as a pastor, extra pressure or that you really want things to be done right on like an Easter Sunday service because you've got people in there that you haven't seen in a year or maybe maybe the first time you've ever seen them. And you know, this is kind of a, a captive audience where you maybe, you know, um, this is like a, a first impression essentially. Yeah, and it, you know, really, Jason, we focus on that. That's one of the things we stress every week. You know, our, our mantra is welcome home. Like we want it to feel like home. I really want to see that excellence every week. So again, if they come the next week, it's not totally different. So I'm, I always want to see that every week. And, and on Easter, you know, we try, to, we try to bring a message where we're not criticizing people if it's the first time in a year or the one-timers. Like I, we're glad they're there. And we want to kind of roll out the carpet of saying, hey, come home. Like, welcome home. You're, this is your home. If you had not been here a while, you know, that's fine. We're glad you're here. And we want you to know you can get right back connected. And so we really work hard with that message. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself that week to say, hey, don't make little cute remarks about, you know, we're glad to finally see you. Like some people know, and we don't have to be told when we're not coming to church. We know that. <laughs> and so when we come, we don't want to feel like a rat. You know, I, I always want them to feel welcome. 
and that's something we work hard on every week. You're welcome here. Find a place, make it your home. If it if that's what you feel like the Lord's will is, we also know there's a lot of great churches. You attend a great church. Solid Rock is an excellent church. We we know there are other great churches in Columbus. So we're like, hey, if this is not the place, we'll help you find a good church. Yeah, as long as you're in church. That's right, because it's it's about the church. Yeah. And uh, and that's you know Sunday that was the message. It's not about a church. It's about the church. All those who believe in Christ. So we really I I strive for that. That excellence, we try. Uh, we don't. We're not looking for perfection because we're dealing with people. But we do try each week to have that excellent spirit of welcoming people in. So. Yeah, and you were talking about not kind of making cute comments or things like that. But no. because you know the story of the resurrection on Easter, it's it's it tells itself. I mean, Jesus right. died on the cross, <laughs> rose again the third day. I mean, yeah. there you don't really have to play around with the details. No. That, that that tells itself. It does, and I, you know, that message I think needs to be simple and clear, and uh, and that's what we strive for—a good, clear, simple presentation of the gospel. This year, we chose to focus on, you know, the first time I've ever preached out of Revelation on Easter, but about the marriage supper of the Lamb, like the great celebration that's coming, and and Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are invited," and I, you know, you're invited. So it was a great. This is what Easter's about. He that's he made the way for us to to be at the greatest celebration of all time. So it's just another take on that that good news, the message of the gospel. And uh, Easter is kind of like that that uh, that opportunity to reach some people who may not have been in church for a long time and you just want them to know they're they're welcome, they're invited, they're 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 part of the family. Yeah, what a great opportunity not just for the pastor but for you know, the marketplace ministry Absolutely. everybody in the church. You know? Absolutely. Now, uh, we were talking when I invited you to be on the podcast, I uh, was talking to you about, you know, issues that you're passionate about. Um, and uh, one thing, you know, post-Easter that you were saying is, is a really important message is restoration. Yeah. Uh, you know, a story out of John. So tell me about that and, and what that kind of, in terms of what's next after Easter from 2,000 years ago, but also today. Yeah, it's, and it is. It's the part of that narrative that just keeps going. Peter and them end up... Jesus told them to go to Galilee, and they did, and he went back to fishing. A lot of disappointment. He had failed the Lord, and, and I find that a lot of people, especially, again, when they're coming back, they, they focus on how they failed him, and, and a lot of time the enemy can really do a number on you and kind of make it, it'd be better for you not even to come, you know. You'd feel better if you don't come. And so what we do, again, is, is try to preach the good news. It's about restoration. Jesus not only, when he was resurrected, he not only gave us a new life, but that restoration, you know, sometimes it's not neat and clean and packaged up. You know, Peter had failed him miserably, and he needed, I call it the fish fry, that's what we'll call it this Sunday, the great fish fry, when he sat down and said, come and eat. And, and I love how Jesus just invited him back in. And, and, you know, that three times that he asked him if he loved him, I don't believe that's, Anything about revealing that Peter didn't love him, uh, I believe that was just a reminder. Hey, you denied three times you knew me. I, I'm going to make sure you proclaim, you know you love me. And I want to make sure you proclaim that. And then I'm going to reinstate you to your rightful place of leadership. Like my call hasn't changed because you fell flat on your face. And I, I think that's an important message. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I've been saved a long time. But I've yet to make it through 24 hours that I didn't have something to confess. <laughs> so, exactly. So I, I'm like, you know, I pray that prayer every day. Lord, forgive me as I forgive those. I always have something to confess. And so it's just a reminder. Sometimes it's really, I feel like I've fallen flat on my face and I need that. I need him to lift me up. So this post-Easter 
It's a perfect opportunity just to encourage those who might come back and not feel like, you know, they're in the rightful places that, hey, the Lord has a place for you and he'll restore you back. And it's a beautiful, it's one of my favorite in the Bible. And I, I believe that, you know, in that conversation, Jesus revealed to Peter how he was going to glorify him in death even. And I've always said, you know, he's not, he's not revealing a lack of love. I mean, he's saying, look, you're not only going to live for me, you're going to die for me and, and glorify me in that way. So it's a beautiful picture of step back in, you know, sort of get on the horse and let's ride again. You had a hard fall. And so, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a very meaningful uh, post-Easter message. People want to read it themselves, John 21. John 21, yeah. yes. And uh, restoration, I mean, we all need that. And, and it you know, doesn't hurt to have, you know, uh, fried fish as part of the message. That's you know right. I mean? Because, I mean, food is a great way to, to bring people around, to, oh, to invite people in. Right? Absolutely. You know, that's the reason we chose Life of the Party for this whole series that went through Easter. And, and you find Jesus, he's eating with people, he's gathering with people constantly. And food, in the Jewish culture, Food is a huge part of their culture. And in our culture, too, in the South, food is a huge part. And, I, I, again, I think post-COVID it's important. Hey, guys, get around the table again with people. Invite them into your life. It's messy. It's not easy sometimes, but invite people back into your life. I think something happens when we begin to eat together and spend time in our homes. And, and this is a perfect opportunity, the fish fry. And, and the beautiful part about it, Jesus already had his fish. He was sitting there with fish in his pan, and they didn't have any. So he, he told them to throw the net on the other side. They're full of fish. Now, he says, now come and let's eat together. <laughs> he didn't need to do that. He, he didn't do that for his fish. He already had his fish. So yeah, it's like yeah. this invitation of it's just it's the fellowship, like you said. It's the journey. of, of And I believe that is a huge part of how people uh, you know, come to know him more is, yeah. is through that journey of gathering. So it's a great opportunity for us to do the same. Absolutely. And speaking of the journey, I want to kind of go back in time with you, Pastor Paul, a little bit. Um, back to, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've read or heard you say one time before that you were saved and baptized when you were a young man, eight years old. Yep, yep. Um, but, you know, things obviously changed a, a, a lot since then. So take me back to like, okay, so you're saved as, as a young man. Um, you know, and I think, were you in Texas? or you were in I was. I was in, I was in Texas. Uh... Kemp, Texas, First Baptist Church. I remember it vividly, saved, baptized, but then we stopped going to church. I drifted away and just didn't think much of the Lord. And when I moved here to Columbus my senior year, I met a young lady at Pacelli High School, Pam, and her daddy and her family belonged to Evangel. And so, like, I knew I was going to have to go to church <laughs> to date her. So I did, and, uh, and the Lord got a hold of my heart again. And I, I rededicated my life after we were married. And uh, and ended up with the call in the ministry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, well, it's it's uh, and to have the woman that you fell in love with, you know, that's. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Lord can use people to bring Absolutely. you back to Him. There's no doubt He used that woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt. That was I. I, t I tell a lot of guys when in part, uh, especially the young guys, I say, "What you're missing is a godly wife, man. <laughs> you, you need to find you a godly woman and get married." <laughs> And, and you didn't start off, I mean, the ministry was for you kind of a little later in life. So you yep. were working in small businesses. And so tell me about some of the jobs you had. And, and you, I mean, you at that point, I think you were not saved. I wasn't. I wasn't living for the Lord until uh, a, a good a good while later. But I actually, I went to work for her dad. He owned Best Built Fence here locally. He got sick right after that. And I ended up buying the business from him and running it for 10 more years. So I was there 15 years. And after that 15-year mark, we received a call in the ministry. And it was during that time 
that that I really the Lord really impressed upon me, you know, and and I rededicated my life to Him, and decided, hey, I was going to live for the Lord. And it's probably five six years later. We we didn't see it coming, but the Lord He He it was a clear call in the ministry. So I sold the business and went into ministry. Took a half cut in pay. <laughs> I told Pam, I said. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you know, starting off, I said, honey, this is going to be challenging. Uh, but we, you know, I look back and I, we didn't miss anything, Jason. We didn't. Yeah. I, I say that in jest because the Lord provided everything. And little did I know he had a plan. I had no idea what was coming. He had a plan. I, I joined the church as the business administrator. And then seven years later, our pastor went to the district as a superintendent and they elected Pam and I. Uh, and that was 12 years ago. And that time has flown by. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. a dozen years. You know? it, it's, it's amazing. I, mean, I look back. I, sometimes I'm like, gosh, it took so long to do this, but it went by quickly. And, uh, you know, the, the adage, time flies when you're having fun. Certainly there were some challenges, but there was also a lot of joy to be able to pastor the people who raised you back up into, the, into salvation and poured into you. And uh, it's great, great to be there. And when you look back, even like say, like let's say three decades ago, when you were you know working different jobs, and then you join your father-in-law's business, um, and you you know, not living for the Lord like you talked about, was was it different? Because I, I, I he, if he's going to church, he's this Christian businessman. Yeah. So tell me about you know did that kind of change your mindset or like the fact that I mean you're you're, you're a hard worker, I'm sure, but. Maybe you weren't, um, you know, kind of, you weren't living right. That's right. And I, I'll tell you the story. My first day of joining him in, in February of 1987, uh, I hit the door hungover and five minutes late. <laughs> I hit the back door, uh, two strikes already. And I go in and I'm about halfway in the room and I look around and say, something's not right. Everybody's standing in a circle looking at the floor. And I realized I had busted in on the morning prayer. So every morning he gathered us up and he had prayer. And so that was my grand entrance into Best Built and into the life of a very godly man. And I always tell people, my, my stepfather taught me how to work hard. He was a extremely hard, come off the farm. My dad, my, my biological father, he taught me how to work smart. My dad had this mind, and just in, still to this day amazes me. And it was my father-in-law who taught me about integrity. Uh, he taught me how to work with integrity and and uh, it was a grand, it was like you couldn't get it in college. It was a university degree in, in how to run a business with integrity and how to how to be a man of your word. And so, yeah, many times he closed that door. <laughs> and I knew a, a good talk was coming. But, uh, yeah, he, it was, it was the, the Lord drew me there because I, I was educated in that place on, uh, on that very thing. I knew how to work hard, and, uh, but I needed to know how to work with integrity. And, you know, in the marketplace, um, whether you're working, you know, in church or outside of church or business or whatever else, integrity is such a huge thing for not only, you know, coworkers, but also, you know, customers as well. Absolutely. So what does that mean to you in terms of now, you know, that you've been in the ministry, but also yeah. looking you know, back at something that we can all relate to? What does integrity really mean? You know, I, I remember one day I was on the phone and I told this person, hey, yeah, we could be out there tomorrow to put your fence up. No problem, you know, just let me know. And, and I got off the phone, and Jimmy was sitting across from me, and he said, uh, we can't be anywhere tomorrow. We, we're fully scheduled out for a week and a half. And I said, I know, but that don't matter. I was just trying to sell a fence. And so he walked over and shut the door, <laughs> and he said, son, we don't lie. 
And I said, we don't? <laughs> he said, no. I said, well, I've kind of made it part of how I sell. And he said, no, no, you, you tell people, I'd rather you lose the sale. I'd rather you lose it every day. You tell people the truth. And uh, that's what, that's one thing. It meant to be a person of your word every time, not just once and, and no matter what was on the line. And to be dependable and, and, and to be consistent in that. And that's what Jimmy, Jimmy was so consistent in his faith. And, and he would tell people, I'd be sitting with him and he'd just lay it right out. That we can't start for three weeks. And I'm like, well, don't tell him that. <laughs> but like he was always straight up with people. Sure. That's why he had been in business so long. He was trusted. He was known. And so integrity to me, to me means be a person of your word and, and just be straight with people. Uh, be honest and simple up front. And, and integrity also means that you're, you'll also look out for the interests of the other person, you know, and not just your own. And uh, that, was one of the, that was one of the things he taught me. And, you know, when you're, you're preaching to folks or just kind of maybe one-on-one or even like maybe a men's group, you know, um, some people may think, you know, well, you know, my Christian walk or what I read in the Bible, it doesn't apply to me being, you know, this, a teacher or being, you know, a lawyer or being a janitor or something like that. But does, uh, you know, does it really apply to everything we do? Absolutely. I think it's paramount. It's number one. It's who we are. People need to know who we are. And, and I think our walk with Christ defines that it's our identity and and so once they know who we are and really we can't really be a good witness unless we're being authentic and i think that again integrity requires authenticity just be straight with people don't don't try to be something you're not because then you're setting them up to find out the painful truth we all are in a battle every day we all have to walk by faith and not by sight all of us struggle with temptation or things we have to overcome and so there's just no time for pretense that integrity i think demands of us be straight with people uh and and let them know it is and and, you know i've had people say that you know you're you're uh you're uh transparent i said well really there's no time for anything other than that because as you're preaching to people you don't need to try to present something that's not realistic for them to put you on a pedestal you need to tell them the truth the road is hard sometimes you're going to fall like Peter. It's not if, it's when. <laughs> and this is what you do when you fall. <laughs> exactly. You run back to him and let him pick you back up. And so, yeah, I think that transparency, the authenticity is all part of that uh, integrity. And, and our witness, I think, is on the line. And really, for us, it doesn't matter. You know, tomorrow, Jason, he could call me somewhere else. He could say, okay, this is done. You're no longer going to do this. You're going to go do that. And so I hope I would accept that assignment. I might cry on the way out because it's a wonderful place, but I hope I would accept it like I did this one and just keep running. And so no matter, the same way when I was a fence, you know, I ran a fence company, I was a believer. I loved getting opportunities to pray with people out in the field. Matter of fact, I, I probably have, I had more access to lost people then than I do now. But, <laughs> but so I think it is important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and fences are symbolic as well in terms of, you know, some people put up fences to keep people out. Some people, you know, there, there's the things about mending fences and just about how, you know, you use those as a way to kind of, like you said, restoration, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you were talking about crying, how you maybe wouldn't, but I, I've heard some <laughs> stories about you, how, you know, when you transitioned, uh, well, first of all, before we get to that, so you're you're working as a business administrator mm-hmm. for is it five or ten years? Uh, about seven. About yep. seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So um, at Evangel, and um, so you know that's that was your wheelhouse. Oh yeah. I mean, you had you know gone to school, and you had you've been a businessman. So for you, that was like, hey, I get to do this for the church. It's like a, yeah. a double win, right? Yeah, it was. It was like it was just like you said. I was very comfortable in that corner office. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then you transitioned from that to I mean, how did you become you know, or even was it like a, a calling, or maybe you and Pam had discussed it about, hey. Maybe I'd like to do some, you know, go into the ministry. You know, in that place, I was an associate pastor as administrator. And so when our pastor left, people began to approach us, and I, I had to make the decision, would I submit my name? And that was a great battle because I, I hadn't led at that level, and I wasn't confident at that level. But, but through a lot of praying and some mentors coming to me, uh, they convinced me, you know, I told our board, go find us a young pastor about 35 that's triple the size of his church in the last five years and bring him in, you know, and there was, exactly, I, we had a great staff and I, I, I said, I can lead until we get a new lead pastor, guys, we're in good shape, Pastor Collins left us in great shape, but I always say they circled around on me, but when it came time, uh, I knew it was the Lord. He made it clear. He was gracious. He made it clear that I would, I should submit. That's all he's ever asked me to do. He takes care of the outcome. I submit and to the process, and I did. We we put in a, uh, a resume, first resume I ever made in my entire life. Wow. Yeah, I'd never done a resume, and again, he made it clear that I was to do that, and I did, and uh, and we were elected. And but the first day, the very first day, I had to walk from that corner office around the hall into the lead pastor's office. I got in about halfway, and uh, I fell to the ground and just started crying, bawling like a baby. I mean, I lost it. I, I said, what have I done? Lord, how did you let me do this? Was this, was this just kind of a fear? Oh, it was a abject fear. Uh, just, uh, it was just, I, I just, I was overwhelmed. And uh, after I got through crying, I walked in, I had a bathroom, so I walked in, washed my face. I went out and told the secretary, I said, I can't do it today. I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> and I went back to my corner office. And, uh, and so the, I always tell people now I don't cry on most days. Uh, but it was overwhelming. I didn't feel confident there. But it's like I, now I look back and I tell young leaders, give yourself time. If the Lord's called you there, he'll equip you and you'll get comfortable in your saddle. It took a while. But, but the Lord was gracious. He gave me everything I needed and, uh, you know, and put a lot of good people around me. And so I wasn't, you know, it, sometimes you have to wade out into deeper waters than you're comfortable with. But the Lord was gracious, and uh, he took care of us. And, and again, I go back to Pam. She's been my greatest rock of support. Yeah. And uh, so we do this together. Yeah. Yeah. She's not very visible. She's behind the scenes. And I always tell people, if you see her on the front row, you know I'm either sick or she's something is going on <laughs> that she's highly concerned. Otherwise, she's out. Uh, on her different assignments. Yeah, being being a pastor's wife, along with the other jobs that that uh, lady has, is is an underappreciated it job is, and yeah, role. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, now um, you've been a pastor for uh, ten years or so when the pandemic hits, COVID nineteen, yeah. and that's something it's unprecedented, you know, uncharted territory for any of us in life. 
And so, you know, kind of the church goes dark in terms of people attending yeah. uh, in, you know, the virtual services for a year, give or take, and, and people may be slowly trickling back. So what's that been like for you as a pastor? Because you're used to looking out and seeing, you know, people in the pews and in the chairs. Yeah, it was, it was a shock, Jason. It was hard, you know, but I credit our team. They pivoted quickly. We, you know, what we found out when COVID started was the value of being connected to people and having them connected to you. So, so like our life groups, all those who had, had means of communication, man, they were quick. They were on it. If you weren't connected in that way, we, we had issues staying connected with you. And, and so we had, to, we had to pivot on the fly. They did great, really helped me get up to speed on how to communicate in that in that way and they provided a great means they 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 jumped you know they upgraded everything and jack and others they jumped in and just really worked hard and so it was it was really difficult to to preach to a camera you know like that camera over there bugs me like i could talk to ten thousand people live you put a camera in front of me and it's like what happened and what you do on the news is like you make it look so easy but hey, listen what you do on, on, on the stage platform it takes a lot because I mean you're led by the spirit, but it's I mean you know it is still kind of a, a, a scary because I mean everybody's all the focus is on you. Yeah, and you know it goes back to what you said earlier. If you feel comfortable, I feel comfortable there. I'm very comfortable in front of a camera. I'm not, so I had to learn, and just like people have to, and I, I credit our team, the people that the Lord's put around us. Uh, it's incredible. They they really again focused and recommitted on reconnecting with people and so and that's what we found that in COVID and even coming out of COVID is again double down on connecting because it's it's you know if someone's just attending your church and they're not connected then when something like that pandemic shows up it really reveals that they're they're isolated and we learned during the pandemic the absolute devastation of isolation it really took a toll on a lot of people and, uh, and it's already something I feel like this generation battles because they spend so much time in front of a screen and less time in groups and talking about things. And so it was revealed. Isolation, no wonder the enemy uses that. Isolation is devastating to people. And uh, so the pandemic taught us that. And so connectedness is one of the things that I believe in the next few years we really need to double down and get people connected, get them in a group, get them in some setting. I do I thank the Lord for, you know, what we have online. You know, we had, we had an online presence well before the pandemic. And I had someone Sunday. It was their first Sunday. Their wife had gone through cancer. And he was trying to tell me how much he appreciated our online. And he couldn't because he was weeping. And he said, you know, we wouldn't have made it without it. He said in this last year because yeah. she couldn't come. That was the first time she could come to church. Yeah. So it just, it, it, it reinstated to me. It's important. All right. It's still, we have to pay attention but we also know what it means. I can tell what it meant for them to be able to be in the room and be with people. So, uh, yeah, I think we've learned a lot. And I hope, I hope we've learned that if it should happen again, I hope it never does. But if it should happen again, we will be much more connected uh, with, with our people. And technology I mean, can be used for, for very positive reasons or very negative reasons That's right. as well. And um, for you, you know, along, you know, you were talking about how, you know, hey, it's, it was great to see people out, um, you know, and, and the big crowd on Easter, and a lot of churches saw that perhaps as we're kind of coming out of this, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, we're coming out of it along with that connectivity and kind of getting into groups and 
making sure people have you know um, you know are plugged in in some sure. fashion, volunteering or whatever else. What else do you think that we as or that churches in general have learned from COVID nineteen that may be like, hey, we didn't realize this before, and now you know maybe this has taught us some things that maybe we need to do better as a church. Yeah. I- a great question. I believe for us, it is, hey, you, you, you see what isolation does and what, what it's like not to be connected. Can you imagine what the millions of people who aren't connected to a church at all feel like? Yeah. Uh, either alienated or, or for some reason they won't come to a church. Had a bad experience. Exactly. And there's, there's millions of those people, Jason, that won't come to a church. They've been hurt or something's happened. They got just disillusioned. And, and so for us... I think our focus is back to not just inside the four walls, but guys, find ways to connect with people out in the marketplace. Find groups that, don't, that aren't just wrapped around the church and our four walls. Find ways to connect with people at work. We have a, what we call where you work, where you play, all right, and where you go to school. All right? Find ways to connect with people there and represent Christ there. You, they may not ever come to church, but you can be the one that connects with them and you can do the same thing. You can help them on that journey and maybe one day they will feel comfortable because I feel like coming into the church, coming into a body is important. There's things that happen there that are much needed. But for us, it's, hey, let's get better at connecting with people in our community for the cause of Christ and and helping them find their way back. Yeah, and Jesus, yeah. I mean, showed the way. I mean, he hung out with the... With the prostitutes, the absolutely. Drunks. I mean, like that's a, a great example for all of us. Right? It is, and I, you know, I had a conversation with one of our team members this morning. You know, there's a lot of people have alternate lifestyles and stuff, and 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 we were in a discussion. Well, how do we get? You know, I, I've got a meeting, and how do we do this? And I, and I, I was exasperated because I was trying to be, I was trying to say, you know, we do, we have to show the truth. You know, we can't be all grace. There has to be grace and truth. Yeah, yeah. And then it just hit me, and I just looked at her and I said we got to figure out how to be more like Jesus because he accepted every single person in every venue, every place he was at without ever approving of sin. You know, he accepted without approving. That's what we got to get really good at. (laughs) We have to get good at Without seeming coming off as judgmental. Absolutely. We're better than you kind of thing. Absolutely, because there is no to that. We're, We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short. We just have to get better at accepting without approving. And Jesus, like you said, he's shown us the way. We just have to really be committed and maybe not our first step being, hey, I need to tell you, uh, you know, what the truth is. Maybe there has to be some grace, but that truth has to come in with grace. And and I believe, you know, as, as Paul said, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Like you got to have the salt. We know in the South, if you don't got salt, I mean, if you don't salt things, it's not worth eating. But, but you can't, if you pour too much salt on it, you ruin it. Sure. So it's that, it's again, and I think, I think coming out of COVID, it was a wake-up call to us. We should have been, been good at this all along. And it just, it's just going to take, again, more time and energy and resources toward connecting with the masses like Jesus did. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, for you, you know, um, you talked about, you know, your wife, Pam, and you guys are um, coming up this summer, going to celebrate 35 years. 35 years, yeah. So um, by your side, and, and she's put up with you all those Oh, years. man, she she's going to have a lot of crowns. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what's it like, you know, you've got, you know, two kids and two grandkids and, and um, you know, uh, trying to kind of relax at times. So how do you balance that, you know, uh, working for a church, 
Um, and, and everybody tries to balance that with their jobs and family and trying to make sure they put the right things first. You know, as a yeah. pastor, I mean, you can get caught into like where you're like totally inundated with like so many things that you want to do or need to do. But uh, so what's uh, some of the secrets to success? Yeah, I, uh, I would say the, the best success I have is when my relationship with the Lord is first. Okay, when I keep that first and foremost, my personal, not not preparing for a sermon or doing what I, but just personally, okay, my working on my relationship with the Lord, my family's next. Okay, I never put the church before my family. I've heard some pastors say, if you take care of God's family, you take care of yours. But look, He put me here. He gave me that family, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and 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 He He charged me with with being the priest of that home first. And so, and I always try to tell people when you're doing, start with those closest to you. I read years ago that those closest to you should respect you the most. And I have, you know, that hasn't left me. It's like if you sacrifice them to go run and get on a stage and look all that, it's not going to work. You'll sacrifice the, the best thing. And so God first, that relationship, then my family, and then the church. And when I get it in that order, I get it right. You know, Pam came to me years ago. And, and did something that revolutionized our, our marriage and our life. She came to me and said, I want to apologize to you, baby, and, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and she said, uh, I tried to put you before Jesus, and I've been trying to get things. I've been expecting from you what you can't provide. Wow. It can only come from the you're, Lord. You're not perfect. Exactly. And she said, I, I've gotten it backwards, and I put all this pressure on you. And I thought for a second, I said, well, baby, I think I've done the same thing. And, and so it revolutionized our marriage, our life, when, when we realized, hey, you, you shouldn't expect from your wife or your husband what you can only get from Christ. So that relationship first, and then a strong marriage and family, and then, and then you take care of things at the church. And when I get it in that order, it works really well. And, and again, not only has God blessed me with this incredible wife, but also a team at, at Evangel Church. It's, it's amazing. It's, I couldn't even imagine trying to do what I do without that team and that again that's the important thing I'm weak in a lot of areas I have to bring people around me to to cover my blind spots and make up for my weak spots and uh, the Lord has just brought together we we really operate as a team I might you know I tell them I get way too much credit for what you do but I'll also take the blame <laughs> so so you know you everybody knows their role and uh, we work together and I think in that when you can come and, and uh, keep yourself in a good, solid, close relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, and then your family, and then whatever your job or your, whatever it is, uh, if, if, that's, if there is a secret, uh, that would be it. Yeah, those, yeah. those three in that order. Absolutely. And, and, and so uh, did you grow up um, Pentecostal Assembly of God? or was No, it was I done? didn't. Because, I mean, cause for some people, maybe they're not used to that. Maybe they grew up Baptist. Methodist. I did. I was saved in the Baptist church. The only people said amen was the deacons. And you didn't clap. You know, when, when I got to Evangel Temple in those years, it was quite the awakening. That's why I tell people, you know, when there's a message in tongues or, or the gifts are active, I always tell people, listen, if this is this is really freaked you out <laughs> and you don't know what's going on, you know, I always take them to the Bible. Go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 together and then come and talk to us and we'll explain. I was shocked the first time I heard someone speak in tongues. I didn't know what had just happened. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, 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 when Pam told me what it was, I laughed. 
And she almost broke up with me. I was like, but it's crazy. <laughs> so it took me a number of years. But finally, I started figuring, I know this person. You know, that, that's Jason Dennis. He's a professional. I know that's a teacher over here. They're, these people aren't crazy. That's yeah. a superintendent. And this is biblical. Exactly. So once I, once I began to really look to the Lord and, and learn the word, I saw this is, this is Acts. Basically, this, is, this didn't stop anywhere. This shouldn't stop stopped. We're still in the book of Acts. I don't know what chapter you'd call it, but we're still there until Jesus comes back. So I say, yeah. And it, it also brought a richness uh, and, and two, I think that being done in order is important. You know, I had a Baptist pastor attend one of our services a couple of years ago. This was before COVID. And, uh, and we, it was real active spiritually that day. And I thought, ooh, you know, and he called me not long, about a couple hours after the service. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, and, and he just said, I just got to tell you. He said, all my life I've read about this. And he said, I'm so glad my whole family was there, my children and my wife, because he said, that's the first time I've seen the gifts operate the way the Bible says they should in a biblical fashion. And, and he said, I just want to thank you that, that I'm glad they got to see it. And so that's important. It's like it's when things are done in order and in the fashion, the way the Bible, yeah. the Bible teaches us that not it's not really exactly and not just wildness out of control. A lot of people tend to think the Pentecost is just wild, it's out of control, you know, they're, they're crazy, they're nuts. But no, it, there's a definite order. That's why I tell people, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. All right, 13 was not written for weddings. It was all in the discussion about the spiritual gifts operating in love. And so when all that's read together and done that way, yeah, it's, it's an incredible miracle uh, that we get to be a part of. Yeah, I grew up myself Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational, and then... I met my wife in college. Uh, you guys were high school sweethearts, but I met my wife in college, and she was a preacher's kid, Assembly of God. And so I attended a church with her, and somebody spoke in tongues, as, as it always is known to do when you're visiting a church. Yes. And, um, and I reached over to her, and I said, are they speaking Spanish? <laughs> I just wasn't familiar. I had heard of it, but I, wasn't, I hadn't experienced that concept. And she kind of, kind of, a little chuckled a little bit and said, "No, that's tongues, and let me show you." And yeah. and uh, so, uh, but it's it's you know it's the church is and people are raising their hands, and the pastor wants you to kind of respond and talk back to you. And and uh, you know uh, you know Assembly of God churches are also known for being more diverse in yeah. terms of because you know maybe that response to the pastor happens sometimes more in like black churches. Yeah. And so when you have that, you know, it, it gives you opportunity. And so for you. Um, being a part of Assembly of God now for you know for a, a couple of decades, you're also now the statewide presbyter. Uh, tell me what what that means. Or <laughs> we have a presbytery board, and I'm one of the statewide presbyters. As a matter of fact, this I've been in that position eight years, so I'll I'll go off for a term. But basically, the presbytery is kind of like a board of a church. They're the board of all the churches in the district, which in our case is the District of Georgia. So they serve in that some serve in regions and then some serve as two statewide and I was, I was one of those and great group of guys and so we're, we serve it kind of like as the board of the churches and you know the assemblies is is a cooperative fellowship they don't they say technically we're not even a denomination and the reason being that, that was born out of people who generally got invited to leave their mainline denominational churches because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and so there it's a it, it's not a hierarchy type government it's an oversight, and, and so it's a very limited. Each church is autonomous, and they, t they handle their own affairs unless there's an issue. 
and then then the district can be there to help walk them through things and just help support in in a, in a general way. So basically, it's you know it's just every you know quarter we meet and uh, just go over kind of the business of the district. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and you were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit for those listening that maybe they've heard of that and they were they were like, well, I know what baptism is. You know, you're you're dunking in water and you come out and um, you're you're saved and you're a new new creation. Well, baptism of the Holy Spirit, kind of in layman's terms, explain to us what that is for folks that yeah. don't know. Yeah, and, and in Acts 1, Jesus said, John baptized you in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's a complex thing to explain, kind of like the Trinity, but if you can imagine being immersed in water, that's what baptizo in the Greek, immerse, that's what it means. So it's to be immersed in the Holy Spirit and have... A, an, an absolute experience with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that makes the assemblies unique in Pentecostal circles is they have this doctrine called initial physical evidence. All right, And it's what makes us unique in the Pentecostal movement. And that, that is, we believe that the first physical evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit is you speak in tongues. And, and, and I, you know, I walk people through this a lot. There's five instances in Acts where it records people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And those are the instances we should go back and read if we want to learn about it. It's something I love. It's one of my passions to take people through because I had to learn all that. I, I didn't learn that in seminary. I wasn't able to go to school in that way. And so I had to, I learned the, the Holy Spirit led me through that process of learning the Scriptures and seeing it. And so I love to take people through it because it is... It's very hard to understand yeah. when you're standing on the outside. It's, it can be controversial. Absolutely. There's a lot of misconceptions. Right? Absolutely. And I say the, the biggest part is read it for yourself. Pray. Ask the Lord to reveal to you because that's what happened to me. Yeah. Uh, I was actually baptized in the Holy Spirit by myself in my kitchen. Wow. Just talking to the Lord. Nobody laid hands on me. Nobody prayed for me. It was through a conversation. And I was, I was the most shocked person in the room. I was by myself, and I, I just didn't see it coming. So if somebody walked in, they would have been like, I like what happened here? You know? but, but again, that's why I say make sure, you, make sure you're not just having that conversation with a person. Make sure you're, you're, you're in the Word, and, and the conversation's ongoing with you and, and the Lord. And, uh, and then I just tell people, relax. Don't press, and let the Lord be the Lord. We don't seek gifts. We seek Jesus and he's the giver of gifts. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, and one last question for you in terms of you know, the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we hear about how like just our brains, we only tap into like a, a, a really small percentage of our brains. And, and maybe that can be said at times for the Holy Spirit. The yeah. fact that you know, we have him in us and we don't necessarily tap into that power that we're able to use. I mean, it's not us. It's That's not right. Jason. It's not Paul doing something spectacular it's the holy spirit through us so that's right. tell me about that is that a lot of people just don't tap into that that's within us it's i believe it goes back to what paul said in ephesians ephesians 5 he said uh pay attention you know live live ready live sober he said don't be drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit and he's talking about the end times and how we need to live with an understanding of what's going on around us. But I love the analogy. He said, don't be under the influence of something that would take you away from the Lord. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. See, I, I've always felt like the baptism and living filled with the Spirit is just submitting and, and, and just yielding 
to him, being under his influence. So the more tapping in is more about yielding and understanding, hey, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And he's, just, he's not a ghost. He's a person of the Holy Spirit. He speaks. He's, he's the one that spoke the word to people that they wrote it down. So he's the author of the scriptures. And Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send someone just like me who's going to be your helper, the Holy Spirit. The restoration there. Exactly. And he's saying he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I've told you right there alone. It's like my wife reminds me of a lot of stuff, but I have the Holy Spirit who will remind me of things that I would have long forgotten. And Jesus said, that's how he'll help you. He'll teach you. He'll guide you into all truth. He will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So those are the things that if we're aware and we let him influence us, then that's really how we grow in being used by the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times we, we fight what he wants to do. Like if he wants us to pray for somebody or go witness to him in some way. or think I'm crazy. Exactly. And so we have to literally... Say, you know what, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you influence me. And I, I ask people a lot of times, Jay, who's influenced you the most? Think of that person. Think of how they influenced you. Now, just imagine that the Holy Spirit can influence you in such a greater way that if we begin to just be aware, like wake up with the awareness of, you know, this morning when I was in prayer, it was like the Lord impressed upon me. You got to listen to me now. You got to listen more and, and be aware throughout the day that I want to do things and say things, that I want to use you in a greater way. And so that's the part that I think if we start living with that awareness, it's amazing what the Lord will do. Yeah, it's like my dad used to say, we have one mouth and two ears to listen more. <laughs> but both of us, a chief part of our jobs is talking. For that's, right. You know, so, that's right. That's um, right. Uh, but I appreciate you. I can see the passion in you when you talk about the Bible. And for you, I know that you know, obviously, a big part of your job is is teaching the Bible. You know, you know, one on one or small groups or, or or from you know in the church on a Sunday or a Wednesday. So, I mean, and that and that's something that you're extremely passionate about. I am. I believe it's again. You talked about a secret. Uh, I believe that the absolute secret to living for the Lord is to is to be in His Word. That's where we mind things. That's where He speaks to us. Most of the most of the influence. From the, of the Holy Spirit comes when I'm in the Word. He's able to do a, a lot of work. And I, what I'm noticing is that people are, they got a less and less appetite to actually read the Word and, and want to read other stuff and, and listen to other stuff. And I'm like, hey guys, don't forget, you know, I still try to read every day because with the Bible, I've read through it many, many times, but I still try to read through it every other year from front cover to back and in the off other years go deeper in a, in a book like Isaiah this year. It's just going deeper, but I try to stay in there because that's, Jesus said that's where he'll remind you. That's where he'll teach you. There's no better teacher than the one. I always tell people, think of your favorite book outside the Bible, and then imagine you're reading it with the author sitting beside you. And he's able to say, hey, right there, when I wrote that, this is the backstory to that. So, absolutely. So, I always, when I pick up the word, I, you know, it says it's sharper than any double edged sword, it'll penetrate. Our, our, our hearts, and it will judge the attitude of our hearts. So I still believe it works. And, and to me, that's why I'm passionate, because I see that. And, and, so, and I haven't scratched the surface of the Word. I, I haven't even 25-plus years I've been in it, and I, I'm convinced. I know so little. It's, it's, it's so, what's there is so much more. And so I'm still as hungry as I was when I was 
35. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, you're like you, we were saying earlier, the pandemic, if nothing else, it created a sense of urgency. Yes. That maybe us as Christians or non-Christians or the church didn't have before. That's like, right. Like, you know, that, hey, listen, this life could be over. That's you know, right. We, plagues or whatever else. So it uh, gives us a sense. So I appreciate your time. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for uh, talking, talking the Bible and talking about Easter and family and and I appreciate your time. I've known you for many years, and, uh, yeah. and uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll see each other around, or have some lunch, or go maybe go play some golf or something. Hey, that would be good. And let me say this too, Jason. Thank you for what you do. You are a great representative of the Lord, and what you do here, and and to many thousands, uh, it comes out. So thanks for thanks for being a light yeah. in our valley. All glory to God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, thank I you. agree. It was great talking to Pastor Paul Thomas. He has been uh, friends with our family for quite a while, and and his church just down the road from from where I live. And so, uh, really, just a, a down to earth uh, country guy who uh, who loves the Lord, loves his family, and just loves people in general. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Evangel Church they uh, they kind of opened a satellite church up in Lagrange, which is a little closer to Atlanta. Uh, you know, years ago, uh, didn't work out, but now they have developed a you know a new I guess model where they have opened a CrossFit gym, CrossFit Lagrange, uh, run by Brent Collins, and uh, it is a, it's a CrossFit gym. It's not like a, a church. But it's a CrossFit gym that they also have as an opportunity to do ministry and to really an opportunity to, you know, to reach out to people in the community. And uh, if people want to pray, they can pray. If, and and it's, so it's, it's an open door for to talk about God if people want to. Well, this, this past Good Friday, uh, they had a, a hero wad, a workout of the day like none other. They called it a passion workout. Uh, the, the goal was to honor Jesus' sacrifice for us on Good Friday. I was told they, uh, they ran with these big weights, uh, kind of uh, quite far outside and inside. They, uh, some of them did 100 burpees in a certain amount of time. So it was a really strenuous workout, uh, trying to uh, not, not necessarily carrying a cross, but just to kind of honor the sacrifice and the, the pain and, and things that, that Jesus went through for us. So, uh, so check it out, CrossFit LaGrange. Uh, has the word cross in it, so you know you never know when you walk in there. You know the, the spirit will move you. Uh, now to our final segments of the podcast, including a parting gift from another pastor talking about restoration, and also uh, some food for thought about uh, what you know Christians maybe can think about post Easter about where we stand. This article comes from the Patriot Ledger based out of Quincy, Massachusetts, called the, the Reverend Schink, uh, the Reverend Tim Schink. He uh, does a, uh, a column called In Good Faith. He, he calls this, Easter is a good time for Christians to take stock. And he talks about how, you know, there were a lot of crowds during the civil rights area, you know, crowds of uh, people uh, working for racial justice, crowds of people mocking, beating, and spitting upon the Freedom Riders, and then crowds on the sidelines really not wanting to get involved. So we spent a lot of our lives, he said, in crowds, you know, uh, maybe political parties, sports teams, and it may be about an issue that we find ourselves, you know, kind of in the thick of or on the margins, whether we want to be active in it or not. Well, he, he writes this, religious affiliation puts us in a crowd as well. There 
there are varieties of flavors when it comes to faith. But the broader term Christian can be problematic for many non-Christians, according to a recent survey. While the majority of Christians consider themselves to be giving, compassionate, loving, and respectful, that's not how they're always perceived. Many non-Christians associate Christians with, quote, hypocrisy, being judgmental, self-righteous, and arrogant. So there's a major disconnect there. And Sometimes it makes you want to scream, hey, I'm not one of those Christians, you know, and so that, that's a painful reality for us. So the Christian crowd really, it's good, important, good time, opportunity to take stock in our actions, their actions. And Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So really, that's the whole point of faith, right? To, to love others. And uh, the Reverend Schink writes, you know, this is all about God's all-encompassing love, not really what our version is, a small-minded version of it. And uh, so it's all about, you know, loving others and, um, you know, taking stock, looking at our actions, looking in the mirror. And he says, that's a crowd worth belonging to. It's, that's well said there. Our parting gift today comes from the very well-known national pastor, Charles Stanley. And uh, so we heard earlier Pastor Paul Thomas talking about restoration. Uh, pastor Charles Stanley says, quote, When we learn from experience, the scars of sin can lead us to restoration and a renewed intimacy with God. So, you know, we all sin, we all fall short. And so those, those scars that come from that and, you know, scars, things that we do to other people or do to ourselves, that can lead us to restoration if we let it. And uh, kind of looking to God for, you know, uh, correction, healing, whatever we need physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And uh, we usually close the uh, podcast here, Run the Race in Prayer. And so our new youth pastor at Solid Rock Church, where I attend, Max Samples, a great guy, very passionate about the Word of God and about young people and uh, getting them to uh, experience what God is all about, what the Word is all about in, 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 a, in a tangible Bible that you can carry with you. So I talked to Pastor Max Samples and got him to give our closing prayer for this episode. Father, we thank you that you choose to use us. Father, we thank you that you never give up on us. And Father, we thank you for the message of the cross. Father, I pray that it transforms our hearts and it pushes us forward, God, not just for us to see change, but for us to walk into change. Father, we thank you that you constantly walk with us. And God, I pray that your sacrifice and your heart for us would push us forward into our faith and stepping out into our own lives. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your son. And we thank you, Father, that you never give up on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And thank you so much, Pastor Max, for the closing prayer for uh, this uh, latest episode of the Run the Race podcast. And by the way, you know, we talk about faith and fitness on here. Pastor Max is back at his regular routine of almost daily uh, CrossFit sessions. And so he says, uh, in a little bit of pain now, but he's going to get used to it. So uh, I need to try out CrossFit sometimes, maybe that one in LaGrange or somewhere here locally. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to continue running. Uh, I'm, my streak is now I'm just a few weeks shy of two years. Um, you know, that'll be 730 days or so of running uh, every single day, at least a mile. So uh, we'll discuss that more uh, perhaps next month. So until next time, y'all have a blessed day.